The Almighty, the creator of all things, is keenly aware of not only every action, but also every thought and every motive. He knows the action of every man. We live in a wicked world. We live in a wicked society. And there's wickedness that takes place in the back rooms of, of society. But God knows every action. But, but friend, this morning that you came to the house of God, you're to be commended for coming to the house of God. But God sees, God knows every action that has taken place this week. And beyond that, He knows the thought of every man. He knows the thoughts that nobody else knows of. He knows the thoughts that you would never want to share with anyone else. This is the judge who is keenly aware of every thought, every action, and the motive behind everything we do. This is the one who will judge us. This is the one who sets the standard. We must compare. We tend to compare every word and deed to our standard. God compares every word and deed to himself. Listen to me this morning. The standard is not just to be better than this world is. This standard is just not one that you can set for yourself and say, I'm not as bad as this person. I haven't done what this group has done because the one who is judging us is not society. The one who is judging us is not the one that we compare ourselves to. The one that is judging us is not us in the standard that we have set. It ought to get our attention this morning at the very thought that the one who is the judge, the one who is judging you, me, and every man who has ever lived, every man that lives today, the judge doesn't compare us to one another. <clears throat> the judge is not going to compare you as you sit in a church service this morning to those that are not in the church service this morning. The judge is only going to compare your actions to his actions, your thoughts to his thoughts, your motives to his motives. The judge, the Lord, is our judge. There is no gray area with the judge. There's only one opinion that matters, and it's the judge's opinion. His only point of reference to what you and I think, to what you and I say, is, to his, is his own perfection and holiness. That is the only point of reference God has. It's not a point of reference you and I are able to share. See, a recognition of this fact. What fact is that, Pastor? It's the fact that we have a judge. It's a fact that in the book of Isaiah, the statement is declared, the Lord is our judge. That fact, if we grasp it, that fact if we're willing to accept it, that fact, if we're willing to realize the magnitude of what it means, is going to produce a few things. 
the first thing that it ought to produce is, is that of fear. You think about it. The judge, the almighty God, the one who gives us breath, the one who allows our heart to beat this morning, the one who is going to determine whether or not it's an eternity in heaven or hell, who is comparing our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, our motives to his very self, to his nature, to his perfection, to his holiness, to his righteousness, ought to strike fear in the heart of every man. A man that would shake his fist at the at God who created him, the man who would scoff at the word of God, has no grasp of the fact that there is a judge. And the judge is the Lord. This morning, you do not have to agree with me, but rest assured, there is a judge. You do not have to like what I am saying, but rest assured, there is a judge. But if you allow the Holy Spirit of God to confirm in your heart what the Bible says is true, it ought to strike fear in the heart of every man, because we can never live up to the standard of God's holiness. We can never live up to the standard of God's righteousness. We can never live to the standard of God's goodness. It ought to strike fear in the heart of every man that there is a judge, he is a holy and a righteous God, and we are going to be compared not to one another, not to another denomination, not to the lost of this world. We are going to be compared to him and his holiness. That ought to strike fear in the heart of every man. But after fear, it ought to produce sorrow. It ought to be produce sorrow, the fact that we don't live up to the standard. We are sorry because a God who is good enough to give us life, a God who is good enough to give us opportunity, a God who is good enough and benevolent enough to at least let us sit in a service on this Sunday morning and, and sing songs about Him and hear a message from the Word of God reminding us that there is a judge. He is very aware of our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, and He is going to judge us by Himself, by His standard. It ought to bring us to a point of fear because we can never live up to that standard, but also one of sorrow. And then beyond sorrow, there ought to be shame. Those who have no shame, the Bible often speak of. What comes to mind is Romans chapter number 1. Those who have no shame in doing that which God speaks against. That which God calls unholy. That which God calls unrighteous. Uh, th those who have no shame, have no grasp of the reality <clears throat> that there is a judge. They can ignore the fact. They can dismiss the fact. But if they truly realized that there is a judge and the Lord, he is the judge, they, they would fear. They would have sorrow for their actions. There'd be shame. We see, first of all, we're reminded of the fact the Lord is our judge. Secondly, this morning, I want to state, as we look at our text once again, you see the Bible says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. I want to point out and hopefully shed some, shed some light on the relationship of the judge, the lawgiver, and the king. 
the judge, as is spoken of in our text this morning, it could be said like this, the judge is the king that presides on the, bit, on the bench. He's in complete control of the courtroom. The lawgiver mentioned in our text this morning is the king of the law. He's writing the statutes to live by. He's writing the standard that must be met. The king that is mentioned in our text is the judge and the lawgiver on the throne of government. We see here as God has established himself in complete control of the verdict to be delivered. The judge presides over the law that was given by the lawgiver. The king is the judge and the lawgiver on the throne of the whole government. Men today think that they can push God aside and live by a different standard, and that's going to be okay. We have an idea in our country today that there's a God of this, and there's a God of this, and as long as I find a God, I can find my way to that place called heaven. But see, we're reminded in our text this morning, and I read it again, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. You cannot get away from the holiness of God. You cannot get away from the righteousness of God. Because see, the judge that is going to cast the verdict, he is judging you by the law that he wrote. And the king, the, the, the one who rules all things, presides over the whole system. And you see, you cannot get away from God. Let me say it like this. The judge passes judgment using the law he wrote. And as the king assures that the judge adheres to the law. We see the relationship mentioned in this passage of Scripture. See, God must judge you and I by himself. There is no exception to be had. God, if I could say it like this, has boxed himself in. The, the judge must preside. The judge must pass judgment. Otherwise, the judge violates the law. The king, the God who is over all things, cannot allow that to happen because God is perfection. God is holiness. God is, is, is judgment. There is no loophole that you and I can get around. The judge sees that the guilty do not escape. Did you hear me? We see the bumper stickers, God loves you, that's certainly true. But it's certainly appropriate God judges you. Certainly appropriate God is going to measure all of our faults by himself. The judge sees that the guilty do not escape. The lawgiver sees that the law is upheld. If you can imagine the judge, it is his responsibility to make sure that the guilty gets the punishment coming to him. Because that is what justice demands. That is what justice requires. The lawgiver is looking over the law that has been given. And the lawgiver is making sure that the judge condemns by the law. The, 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 the king oversees the process 
to assure that everything, it, it, justice is served in the way that it should be served. So God himself is the author of this justice system. God himself is the one who has set the boundaries and the rules. He is the one who has written the laws. He is the one who is going to pass down the judgment. He is the one who oversees all things to make sure that justice has been served. Because let me remind you, God is holiness. God is righteousness. God is goodness. The creator of life sets the standard. The creator of life sets the rules. The creator of life sets the expectations. The only way that it can be set is from God's viewpoint. God cannot set a standard down here for you and I to live by because God has never known sin. God is holiness. God is perfection. As a matter of fact, sin turns the heart of God. Let's be honest this morning. We get used to sin, don't we? We tolerate sin, don't we? That is not the nature of God. The nature of God is, the, is, a, is a sin must be punished. The nature of God is the sin breaks the law. The nature of God as the king, the ruler of all things is justice must be served. My holiness has been violated. My perfection has been violated. And therefore, there's only one way of justice and it is what the king, the lawgiver, the judge Decide. So I'll make my third statement this morning. How can an apparent conflict in this scripture satisfy himself, itself? Look at me again in our text, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. He's the one that's going to pass judgment. You see it? The Lord is our lawgiver. He's the one who set the laws by his standard, his holiness, his perfection. Our Lord is our king. He's also the one that's going to make sure the judge judges by the law. But then, tacked on to the end of this verse of Scripture are the words... He will save us. On the surface, it seems like a conflict. On the surface, it seems as if justice is not going to be served. How can he possibly save you and save me? Because let's be honest this morning. You and I are sinners. I said a few moments ago that God is aware of every action, every thought, every motive. Let's just be transparent and honest this morning. You and I would not want any man to know every thought, every motive, every action that we have ever committed. But there is a God who sits on his throne and he is keenly aware of everything that every man has done. We are sinners we have come short, not just, just, just a little bit short of God's standard. We're, we're missing the mark by so much. We, we have lost count of how far away we are from the standard that God has set. We know from Scripture this morning and from what we already said, there is a judge who is judging our thoughts, our motives, our actions. The Lord is that judge. 
he must administer judgment because he's also the lawgiver. He's also the one who's written the laws for you and I to live by. He's also the king who oversees the whole system. He's also the one who has said it that the judge must abide and pass out condemnation based on the law. And besides that, according to verse number 22, he's also the one who saves us. So how can this all be reconciled with a judge who is bound by his own holiness? With a judge who is bound by the, by the laws that he has written himself? How can we be saved when there's a king that oversees the whole system that demands justice, that demands there be punishment for the wrongdoing, that demands there be punishment for the breaking of his own laws? How is it possible that the one who judges saves the criminal? How is it possible that the lawgiver forgives the lawbreaker. How is it possible that the king who oversees the rule and the law pardons the rebel? How can these things be reconciled with one word? Substitution. The Old Testament reveals that God judged the law he gave. And demanded justice for the offense. The fact that I'm giving you this morning the statement in Scripture, the Lord is the judge, this is not due to this day today. It has always been. The Old Testament reveals that God judged the law that He set, gave and demanded justice for the offense. The Old Testament also reveals that instead of destroying man for his offense, He would accept a substitute of a spotless lamb who would be slain, becoming the sins of the people. This lamb who met the qualifications set forth by God would be sacrificed, would be slain, and in the sight of the judge, in sight of the lawgiver, in the sight of of the king, he saw that lamb as the one who bore the sins, the iniquities of man. And the Old Testament tells us that God would accept that substitute for that which judgment must be passed, for that which the king demands justice be served. The only way That could take place, and the judge, and the lawgiver, and the king also be the one who saves the offender, also be the one who saves the lawbreaker, also be the one who saves the the, the, the rebel. There had to be a substitute. So how does this apply to us? Well, we can refer to the same book we're in this morning, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. 
chapter number 53, in reference to the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, in verse number 7, we read, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Friend, this is significant because it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how, can, how, can, it, how can we rectify this statement in Scripture? The judge, the lawgiver, the king also be the one that saves us because he would accept a substitute. In the Old Testament, there was the lamb that represented the sins of mankind. This is significant in verse number 7 because we know it speaks of our Savior. In verse number 6, has already told us, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquities of us all. Just as that Old Testament priest would go through the, the ritual, the ceremony of shedding the blood of that lamb that has been set aside in the sight of God. It was not just the lamb who lost his life in the sight of God. God put the sins of man as they made that blood sacrifice and the judge was satisfied. The lawgiver was satisfied. The king was satisfied because there had to be a shedding of blood. There had to be a judgment passed. And he could also be the one that saves us because of the word substitute. We think of the New Testament. John the Baptist, speaking of the Lord Jesus in John 1.29, proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of of the world. Jesus himself declared in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Can, can you piece it together this morning? The judge demands a payment be paid because justice screams for it. The lawgiver in his holiness and his perfection says laws have been set that when they're broken, there has to be punishment. There has to be justice served. The king sits on his throne and rules all things and sees to it that the system that he put in place, it must be kept. He must be satisfied. Justice must be served. Yet the very holiness that condemns us, the very righteousness that condemns us, the very laws that condemn us, the Holy One, God Himself, is the one, it's His nature, because of our sin, we come up short. Because of our sin, we can never reach His standard. Because of our sin, this morning, we deserve condemnation, and the laws that God wrote determine Him. The judge must pass judgment. The king must oversee and make sure all goes the way that it is supposed to go. It's hopeless for you and I. There's no hope for you and I. But yet in Isaiah, in our text this morning, we are told it is he who is going to save us. The reconciliation is a substitute. The substitute, how does this sacrifice, this substitute satisfy the judicial character of God, and I'm done. The substitute must be free from all sin himself. Because God requires perfection. You and I 
We could meet the laws of God if we were perfect. But check your piety at the door. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No man is perfect. That is the only standard that will satisfy a holy and a righteous God. So there must be a substitute in order for us to be saved. The substitute must be free from all sin himself. That rules out everyone except for who Hebrews 4 verse 15 speaks of. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Wait a minute. It's hopeless because there's a judge who judges us. There's laws given by the lawgiver who no man can meet the standard. There is a king, and it is the creator of all things, who says, justice must be served. My nature determines it, has set it forth. There is no exception. But he will take a substitute. And there is no man that can be that substitute. There is no religion that can be that, be that substitute. There is no man who calls himself father or mother or whatever else who can stand in the stead because all have sinned. The book of Hebrews, where I just read a moment ago, tells us, reminds us, there is one named Jesus that the prophet Isaiah said he would be led like a sheep to the slaughter. There's a man named Jesus who John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God. It is the one who, when he spoke of himself, said, I have come to be a ransom. The reason why I left heaven, the reason why I took on this robe of flesh is so that I can be the substitute for all mankind because there's a God and he sits on his throne and he demands that justice be served. He demands that all men who fall short of the law must pay the penalty, must pay the price. And Jesus declares that is why I am here. I have come to be a ransom for all mankind. But wait a minute. The sacrifice cannot be in the same condition of the one who he's substituting himself for. Because if a man will stand in the stead of another sinful man, we still have violations of the law. It doesn't matter if they call themselves Holy Father or Holy One. All men are sinners. There's only one there's only one, the scripture tells us, he was tempted as we are tempted. He was tempted to say that cross word, but never said it. He was tempted to be dishonest, but never said it. Satan took him and, and tempted him, but he resisted the temptation. He is God, he is holiness, he is perfection, never committed a sin. So the substitute must be free from all sin. The substitute must be of a voluntary, na voluntary nature. Because if it was required, if the judge ordered one to take the place of another offender, that would not be justice. Because it would be an injustice to the one 
that he demanded take the place. So the substitute must be of a voluntary nature. 1 John 3.16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. It's a lie of the devil when someone says that Christ's life was taken from him. It was not taken from him. We're reminded in scripture of the legions of angels that were just waiting for the word. But yet Christ knew that the judge demanded a substitute. He knew that man would perish because man could not. Man could never meet the standard that God has set. So he was a willing sacrifice a willing substitute who met the standard of perfection himself, and he was a substitute of a voluntary nature. The substitute must also be accepted by both parties. A substitute is not a substitute unless the both parties agree that this is what satisfies the justice of God. We know that Jesus, as a substitute, is accepted by God because we know that Jesus is the only one who meets those qualifications. We have further confirmation by the resurrection of our Savior, by His ascension into heaven, by the fulfillment of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. God has accepted Christ sacrifice as the substitute. The judge has declared that there must be a punishment, there must be a payment for sin. The lawgiver has written the laws by his own holiness, by his own righteousness. No man can live up to that. God has set himself above the system that he created and he governs the justice. And for my holiness to be satisfied, there must be a punishment. There must be a payment. And friend, let me remind us this morning that without Christ, the punishment for our sin is an eternity in that horrible place called hell. It is just as much a reality as the judge is a reality. But God has declared to us that, yes, I'm the judge. Yes, I'm the lawgiver. Yes, I'm the king. But I'm the one that will save you. Because I have accepted the substitute of my only son. Remember what I said just a moment ago. For the substitute to be accepted... It must be accepted by both parties. There are many today who refuse to accept the substitute that God has accepted. And they want to choose another substitute. The substitute of the Lord Jesus Christ is accepted by man when he puts his faith in the payment Christ made. This morning, I can testify personally. I am a sinner. 
I am lost and undone without Christ. I can testify to you this morning that my thoughts, my actions, my motives, my deeds, they fall short of a holy God. They fall short of the judge. They fall short of the laws that the lawgiver has given. You're looking at a man that deserves to pay for his sins in hell. You're looking at a man who cannot save himself. You're looking at a man who could do nothing about his lost condition. Because once a law is broken, you can't go back and unbreak it. But I can also testify this morning that God's justice is satisfied when it comes to Greg Neal. Not because of the works I have done. Not because of the standard I have set by myself. But because God... Why he is a just God, why he is a holy God, why he is a righteous God. He is also the God that saves us in his love, in his mercy. He sent his son to be a substitute that his son lived a sinless life, took upon him my sins. And he paid the debt for my sins. And I have a father who sits in heaven. That righteous judge says, the blood has been shed. It is a perfect blood. It is a holy blood. I accept the sacrifice that has been made. And as a child, I realized that I was a sinner. I realized that fear that I spoke about earlier came upon me. Then there was that sorrow that came upon me. And oh, I wanted to, to have a reconciliation with the judge. And the only way it could happen was to accept what God accepted, accepted the payment that has been made for my sins. And as a child, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on his finished work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that God looks at him as the payment of my sins. And I said, I put my faith in what Christ did. I'm not setting the standard for myself. I'm not going to live up to another man's standard. This is the only way that God's justice can be satisfied. This morning, if you're here, you're a sinner just like every man's a sinner. If you've committed one sin, the judge must pass a verdict of unholy, unrighteous. The judge must pass condemnation because the judge is also the lawgiver. The judge is also the one who wrote the rules, wrote the laws by his own holiness, by his own righteousness. He's also the king who makes sure justice is administered. No man can meet that standard. One sin violates God's laws. One sin determines our eternity in that horrible place called hell. What are we to do? Well, this morning, I'd like to offer you the same hope that I received. For he will also save us. No man will die and pay for his own sins in that horrible place called hell because Christ would not save them. They will only die and go there because they refused to put their faith in the substitute. 
This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never put your faith completely on that substitute, there is no other way for the judge to be satisfied. There is no other way for the nature of God, the justice of God, to be administered except for you to spend an eternity paying for your own sins as the lawbreaker, as the rebel, as the sinner. But this morning, just as sure as I'm standing here, not in my own righteousness, but I can say, I know that I have been forgiven. I know that I'm accepted in the sight of God. It's not by, by me. It's not by what I've done, but it's because of what Christ did on Calvary. You can know that as well. The Lord, He is our judge. You're going to be judged by His standard. Every man decides for himself. Will he be judged in his sins? Or will he be judged by the substitute? This morning, as I conclude, my challenge is this. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never gotten your eternity settled, accept the substitute today. You don't want to face the judge. You don't want to face the lawgiver in your lost condition. Child of God, be grateful for your salvation. Don't be so full of yourself of what you are and what you've become. No, it's but for the grace of God, but for the love of God, but for the, the, a, a sacrifice that was voluntary that said, I'll satisfy a righteous judge. I'll satisfy the laws that have been broken. Live for Him. Father, I pray.